You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Now, you've read all of James chapter 3, but can I actually preach through this entire text? I have no idea. We're going to find out. And in order to get us started down that path, here's our big idea for today. Jesus is the wisdom of God and has called you to wisdom, using your tongue to bless God and others. Let's start out right in verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Christian, this is not just talking about um, teachers in general. Right. Although I will say that I studied to become a teacher for a while. And uh, then when I had to actually go and stand in front of high schoolers and um, work to teach them, I suddenly was saying this verse in my head. Not many were made to become teachers. Right. (laughs) This is specifically talking about Bible teachers, however. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Look, if you are planning to be someone that teaches the word of God to others, know that you have to know what you're talking about. Uh, This is something that is a blessed burden, right? The, The burden to figure out what God's word is saying and then figuring out the best way to communicate communicate that without um, taking away from God's word or without taking away from from what God has said and what Jesus has done. And yet this is all too easy. And there are many who totally step away from the truth of God's word. We know this, right? We look around and we see, and let's just use the low-hanging fruit because I don't want to go into a bunch of details right now, but we see a lot of people that want to just simply use the word of God to fatten up their wallets. And then you you go out into the world and you tell people that, that you're a Christian and they say, oh, so you like going someplace and giving some greedy person your money. In fact, I had a friend like this. I had been evangelizing him here in town for a while. And then he ended up going to a church. And when he got to that church, um, the the week that he went, it was about tithing. Uh, Well, okay, so he went the next week. And the next week was about tithing. Then he got invited to the members class. And they taught on tithing. And then at the end, they, they handed out a book about how much you should give, why you should give it, and what the church does with the money. And then he said to me, Wade, I went to the church thinking that you were right. And then I walked out saying, nope, all they want is my pocketbook. All they want is my banking details. Not only are we judged more strictly uh, according to God's standard, but we're also judged by the standards of the world. And this is why at least in small part, some people fear coming to church because they have been under bad leadership and bad teachers. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Just for the record, the beginning of that verse is 
pretty horrifying if you have someone that is not actually teaching according to God's word. But let's continue, because it gets worse if that's the case. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's even more horrifying. If you have someone that is not fit to be a teacher, either because of moral defect or because of a lack of care, and you are placed, you're placing yourself underneath of their leadership and authority, that is a horrifying thing. <laughs> I hope, for your sake, that that's not me, right? I work diligently. I, I, I stay in God's word to make sure that that is not me. That I am caring for your souls the best that I can. That I am a leader that is, is worth placing yourself under. And now that sounds kind of bad, right? It, it's not that I'm exerting some sort of harsh authority over you. Although there are, again, some bad teachers out there that will do that. I'm not going to read the rest of Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 17. However, I will say it does tell you not to give your pastor a hard time. You can turn over there. Uh, <laughs> I like being given a hard time. What would we be? Where would we be at if you didn't give me a hard time, church? Um, for we stumble in many ways. For we all stumble in many ways. Verse 2, James says. Look, not many of you should become teachers. But also know that we all stumble. In many ways. Uh, it's kind of like this. Teacher, know that you're going to stumble. And yet, do your due diligence. Work hard at it. Hey, listener, hearer, know that your teacher is going to stumble. Right? Okay. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. All able also to control the whole body. Okay, that is a mature person. There, there's only been one truly mature, or your translation might say complete or perfect. There's only been one of those people, truly, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tells us, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Well, we know of only one, and that person is Jesus. We're going to come back to Jesus in just a minute because we're going to get into words. And Jesus is the word of God, right? He is the wisdom of God, as we said in our big idea. But he is also the word of God. And we need to see what this text in James is saying about that word. Verse 3, now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. One of the things I love about today's text is that James gives me all my sermon illustrations, right? Um, so, so yeah, let us first consider a horse. It doesn't matter what size a horse it is. The bit, that's the thing you put into the horse's mouth. It's got the leather tied onto the sides of it. And you, you pull. You pull to the left or the right, and the horse goes in the direction that the bit is pulling its head into, right? It, it's... The head, the the head of the the body of the horse is going where the head is is leading, 
And the head is leading because of that bit that is in the horse's mouth. Well, James is saying that your tongue is like that. Uh, we also know, Jesus tells us, and then elsewhere, uh, the Proverbs tell us as well, that it is from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? And and so in that sense, too, our tongues are not just, you know, free-range animals out here roaming. Uh, they, these are... These are our tongues are actually attached to us. In fact, they're attached to our hearts. And and our tongues say something about our hearts. But let's continue with the illustrations that James has for us. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a small rudder. I'm reading a series of historical books right now um, based in England in the late 800s, early 900s. And yeah, there's there's Vikings and there's other people. They're... they're just flying around in these ships through the ocean. And you might have 40 people paddling oars on the sides of these ships. There's a mast with a huge sail. And yet there's one guy standing in the back uh, holding on to the steering rod. And they're just leaning on that thing, directing this boat through wind and wave. That small rudder is, is piloting that ship. And that's amazing. And James says, so too, though the tongue is very small, it boasts great things. So too, though the tongue is small, it it moves in big ways. Like this is one of the reasons why in church we have to put an emphasis on our words that are used. Jesus did this. Jesus knew how to speak to people, and he was the only one who had control over his tongue. And as James says, that person is truly mature. That person has control over their whole selves then. And, and we see Jesus. He preaches to the people. And there are times when Jesus uses firm correction. That is that he applies the law of God. He preaches the word of law to those who are comfortable in their sins. That's why he's able to look at a group of Pharisees, a group of teachers, and he says, you brood of vipers. That's not what you want to hear said about your teachers, right? He's, he's preaching the law hard to them. And he's saying, you have grown so comfortable in your sin. Here is what God actually expects of you. But then at other times in the Gospels, we see Jesus running along, uh, running into all kinds of sinners. Uh, sinners who are racked with the pain of their consequences of their sin, and then others that are weighed down by the weight of their sin. And what does he do? He sees that they need to be forgiven, and he preaches, he speaks the word of gospel to them. Jesus knew how to use words. He knew the power of words, uh, specifically the word of God, and he knew just what that word would produce. Because when God's word is spoken, it does not return silently or empty. The word of God, as we know from scripture and as we know from our own lives, is effective and it creates and bears fruit. Now, on the other side of that, each of us, when the gospel and, and everyone, 
in the world. When the gospel is preached, when God's word goes out, it, it doesn't return silent or empty. There, there's only ever two responses. Um, and that is repentance or the hardening of heart. Okay. Um, when we hear God's word, even us as Christians sometimes, right? We are hardened to words that we don't want to hear. We deafen our ears and we remain. We choose to remain in our own little bubble of sinful, selfish ignorance. Or we hear the word and we are brought to the place of repentance. We are repented by God and then built back up in Christ. We are consistently recreated into the likeness of Jesus and into the person that God desires for us to be. And that is where this passage, this passage today, James chapter 3, is driving us to. This passage wants to drive us to a place of wisdom. And even though Jesus' name is not uh, directly mentioned here, anytime we're talking about wisdom and God's word being connected, we are talking about Jesus himself. Um. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24 tells us this, that Jesus is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. And so when we hear God's word and wisdom going hand in hand, we know that we are talking about the one true wise king, Jesus. And let's continue. Let's continue to see where God's word is driving us, where we should be looking at our lives and repenting and what we should be striving towards as well. James continues the second half of verse 5. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. This is not hard for us to picture in the Western Cape, right? Um, fires are a yearly event here, and they're dangerous, and they ruin people's lives. They ruin the nature around us. Um, and James says that the tongue is a fire. Our tongue is a fire. It's dangerous. It can cause damage. In fact, he says that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. What does that mean? James, what are you talking about? Look, we've all got a tongue, and it stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire, James says. And it is itself set on fire by hell. What is he talking about? He's talking about the uncontrolled tongue. He's talking about the tongue that is not informed by Jesus. Okay? And he's saying that when we use our tongue wrongly, it is setting fires all around us. And those fires are the fire of hell. Those are exceedingly strong words from James. This should be not a hard decision for us to make, right? I mean, do I want my tongue to be informed by Jesus? Or rather, would I let my tongue be more strongly influenced by hell? Would I want to be speaking hellish things? Or would I be wanting to speak blessings from Christ to others? Specifically, in this context, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, James is saying that we allow these fires of hell, we let damning things to come from our lips, as opposed to 
blessed things coming from our lips. We choose to hate when we have been showed mercy and love. And this is not right. He continues in verse 7 by saying that every kind of animal, bird, reptile, fish, they've all been tamed by humankind. You've seen it, I've seen it, maybe in kids' movies, maybe on TV. I went somewhere once where real mice now were playing basketball. I don't know how they got them to play basketball. Many animals, if they're well-fed, you can get them to do whatever you want, right? This is We've tamed bears, we've tamed lions, tigers. And, and James is saying your tongue is a lot harder to tame than a wild tiger. In fact... With your tongue, when it's restless, when it has nothing better to do, it is full of evil. And it it drips poison from it. Verse 9, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Um, now, we could draw a very direct correlation here when we say, well, this person is like me therefore i will be kind to them right the the favoritism argument that we saw earlier and then this person person is not like me and i will not be showing any sort of kindness or blessing uh towards them when in fact both of these people are made in god's image and yet we choose to curse one and bless the other this makes no sense Right, Or we decide that we are going to praise the Lord with our mouth, but then in our life we are going to hate those around us. Verse 10, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. It doesn't make any sense. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Uh, I, I was 20 years old um, the first time I jumped in the ocean. And um, I remember distinctly, I was excited because I like cold water. I go running in and I'm loving it. And I'm just laughing like I was a small child, right? <laughs> I'm laughing. And I'm just taking in all kinds of water. I'm, and all of a sudden, I close my mouth. I'm whoa. My eyes are burning. My mouth tastes funny. What is this? It's salt water. I was not ready for salt water at all. I loved books about fishing. I loved books about sailing. And yet I wasn't prepared for salt water. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine going into a tap that you drink from every day and it's a hot day and the next thing you know, you go to drink from it and it's just full of salt water? An unreliable tap is a useless tap. Christian, uh, someone who is unreliable with their tongue is, is in essence a person that cannot be trusted. It's a... Not a useless person. That would be a wrong way of saying it. That would be going against what I've already said. Um, but a person that is inconsistent, that is blessing one moment and cursing the next, is a person that does not line up with God's desires for us. Who among you is wise and understands? Who among you gets it? By his good conduct, that is, let me just put this all 
in your camp. By your good conduct, you should show that your works are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. That is, gentleness is a product of wisdom. In fact, I'm just going to step right out there and say that wisdom comes from God and knowing God, knowing what Jesus has done for you should produce gentleness in you, right? This is a fruit of the Spirit and your works and your good conduct should be flowing from your knowledge about what Jesus has done for you. On the other side of that, um, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. James says, you're lying to yourself if you think that that is something that a faith-filled, a faithful person does. If you think that you have been changed by the blood of Jesus, that you've been saved by him, and that you're being changed by God the Holy Spirit then you're, you're lying to yourself and you're denying the truth. And in fact, you are denying the repentance that Jesus is laying out in front of you and telling you to take. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The kind of wisdom that doesn't do what Paul says uh, comes not from above, James says in verse 15, but it's earthly. That is, it's worldly. It's what the world does. It's unspiritual. That is to say, it does not come from the Holy Spirit. And if it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit and it's worldly, what, where does it come? It's demonic. This is what James says. This is a purely evil kind of wisdom that places you in front of others, that places your desires in front of others, that if you're working from a place of envy and selfishness and bitterness, look, a bitter person, if you have to live with them, it makes other people bitter, right? If you are a hurt person, and this is a maybe a simplistic way of thinking about it, but it is true, okay? <laughs> if you are a hurt person, you will hurt people in relationships. If you are a confused teacher, you will confuse other people. If you are a broken person that is not being, whose wounds are not being bound up by Christ, then you will wound and you will break other people. Because the only wisdom that you know how to work out from is worldly wisdom. A wisdom that is full of envy and selfish ambition. And that kind of wisdom is full of disorder and leads to every kind of evil practice. But, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. That is to say that it, it does not hold itself more highly than someone else. That's a good kind of wisdom. A good kind of wisdom is from God. The kind of wisdom that we're looking for is peace-loving. It's gentle. It, it, it doesn't seek to cause problems where there don't need to be problems. It's full of mercy. Produces good fruit. 
It doesn't waver, right? It doesn't change. It remains the same. Unlike worldly wisdom, which would have you going in one direction one day and another the next. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James is telling you, look, if you're looking for peace, you can find it with God. And you will create peace around you with other people that have the mind of Christ. The worldly kind of peace that says, let's ignore all of our problems, or let's look past this one person's problem, and then we're going to be one tribe of people, and that tribe over there is no good. <laughs> That's not true peace. True peace comes uh, not from earthly wisdom, but instead uh, working out what the mind of Christ is among you. And we know that from God's word. And when multiple people, two or more people are working with the mind of Christ as, as their center, as what's holding them together, look, that will grow and that will flower as a bright light of holiness. Sure, we seek to do that as a church. And in the midst of that, we will still be flawed as a church. And yet there should be, and I hope that there will be, a clear distinction between ourselves and the world around us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 18 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. Be united. Having the same love. Be united in your mind and in your love. Being in full accord. That is completely together and of one mind. Well, how are we going to do that? Whose mind are we going to choose? <laughs> Who are we going to shape ourselves after? Paul says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay? Whose mind is that? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is how Jesus shapes you. He shapes you to be like himself. Who, Jesus now, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christian, that's what our tongues should be used for, to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. And our tongue should be used to create in us a united mind, united love and affections, a heart that is brought together, um, that is made one with Christ and made one with one another. From that, peace flows. From that, there is wisdom. 
And in that, there is no room for a tongue that curses a brother and sister, a brother or sister in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear this sermon that I'm preaching even to myself right now. And I'm, I'm a little bit taken aback because um, I know where my sin lies in this area, right? I know that I am that uh, unreliable water tap that spits out salt and fresh water. Um, I know that I am a uh, certain kind of tree that's always trying to put a different kind of fruit on myself. I, I know that sometimes I produce sweet and bitter water. And I know that sometimes um, I have a restless tongue that leads to evil. I have a tongue that burns other people. And yet this is what I also know. I know that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And he has called you and me to wisdom. He has called us to love God and to love our neighbor with our tongues. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who were under the law so that every mouth will be stopped. This passage today should be convicting to you. <laughs> and and it's supposed to be convicting to you because when the word of law is preached, your mouth should be stopped. Interestingly enough, the book of Proverbs says that if you just keep your mouth shut, people might think that you're wise. <laughs> A little bit here. This is what we could attach this to today's sermon. None of us can boast under the law. None of us can say that we have tamed our tongue and therefore tamed our whole bodies and therefore are perfect. We need Jesus. Which is why Paul continues. The law is preached so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law came the knowledge of sin. What was the purpose of the law? To show us our sin. But Romans chapter 3 verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been made visible. It's manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We can be thankful that today we have full assurance that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, even to the point of a criminal's death on the cross to carry your and my sin for us. That includes the wickedness of our tongue. That in ignorance and arrogance and restlessness, we allow to burn those around us. There is not a single one of us who have not done this, and there is not a single one of us that have not been burnt by someone else. And yet there is no person who has taken on 
more of the abusive tongues of this world than Jesus himself. Those who are constantly denying him, constantly seeking to undercut his, his word and his work for them. Jesus takes all of that that's directed at him upon himself, and he takes everything that we directed others upon himself, and he nailed it to the cross. He became our sin for us. And he redeemed us. Anchored Baptist Church, that's good news. Good news for people like you and me. People who have burnt others with our words and with our actions. People who have allowed the overflow of our hearts to come out of our mouths. And it has been damaging. People like you and like me who on our own are hopeless, but in Christ have an unfading hope and a sure salvation given to us by a sure and steady Savior. To quote an old hymn, You have died for my transgression, all my sins on you were laid. You have won for me salvation. On the cross, my debt was paid. We thank God for that. Anchored Baptist Church, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good rest of your day. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.